Well, church, go ahead and be seated. Go ahead and be seated. As you take your seat, will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, we do magnify you, Lord. We do exalt your name today because great is your name and it is greatly to be praised. Lord, we lift you up because you deserve it. And so, Lord, we pray that as we exalt you and as we magnify you, we pray that your spirit would lead us, that it would encourage us, that it will convict us, and it will create a deeper trust within us towards you. And, and, and Lord, I pray that it would just awaken a sense of awe and wonder in you as well today. And, and Lord, I pray for those who are in this room, in this gathering together, but also those who are watching online, that they would just walk out and know that they can trust you more. They can trust you more because you are worthy of it. We love you and we thank you. It's in your son's perfect name is who we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, good morning, Christ Church. How's everybody doing this not-so-beautiful morning? But good morning, everybody. For those who may not know, my name is Javon. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church. I get the opportunity to teach and preach at, at certain times. But also, I get to lead some pretty pretty awesome ministries. Get to lead our, our, our student ministry, our impact ministry. Where my impact team at? Impact. Also get to lead our young adult, our college young adult ministry. Where's my college young adult ministry at? So excited to be a part of this church and be a part of what God is doing. Man, it's awesome to hear a story like Jonathan. And I believe God wants to create that same story within you. I believe God wants to create that same story, that same awe, that same joy, that same wonder within you as well. All it takes is a yes. All it takes is yes. If you really look down, deep down, all Jonathan and his family did was just say yes to him. And then blessings flow through that. Well, today I'm excited. Uh, I get to continue but also end a series that we've been in for the last several weeks. And we've been studying the gospel of Mark. And our heart behind this series and our desire is that we will be exposed to the real Jesus. Because we believe that we encounter real life when we experience the real Jesus. There's a lot of things that are said out here about Jesus, this and that, and you can watch all on TikTok and social media and online. But the Gospels give us the authentic and the real Jesus, and we believe when we encounter him, we experience real, authentic life. So we're going to continue that series. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to go to Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. I'm going to fight the urge today. Somebody told me that the Bible drill is not fun anymore. That's, somebody said that. They said, don't do it. It's stupid. It's dumb. Chat. But anyway, people just said... Don't do it. I'm sorry, they told me not to do it anymore. We're going to jump right into it, but as you guys turn there, go with me. It's 2003, and the day happens to be my birthday. And this day, I turned 13. Now, it was an exciting day for me because obviously I was turning 13. I was crossing over to teenage year. Now, for my parents, it wasn't such an exciting time having another teenager in the house. But I'll never forget, I was, it was my birthday, and as I was coming downstairs, I walked into the kitchen, and lo and behold, on the kitchen table, there was this humongous and huge present. It was wrapped, had a bow in it, and my dad is standing there, and he's like, happy birthday, son. I love you. This is for you. And I go to open it, but he tells me, no, 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 I want you to wait till you get home from school, because it happened to be a school day. I want you to wait till you get home from school, then you can open it. It's going to be even more special. So I trusted my dad. And I said, okay, no problem, let's do that. So the whole entire time while I'm at school, the only thing I can think about is this present. Anticipating what's inside of it. I didn't know what it was. Could have been anything. Could have been another game console. 
Could have been a DVD player. Young folks, a DVD player. It's a, it's a circle, the disc. You, you know, you rub it on your shirt, you put it in. And I, I didn't know what it was, but I, I remember just being so exciting, being so excited, and my joy meter was just on a 1,000 at that time. And so I, I get home from school. I literally remember sprinting home uh, to, to open the present. And lo and behold, it's in the same spot. And my dad's there as well, too. And he said, all right, son, you can open it. So I started tearing it apart, you know, like the animal that I am, like Michael Scott does on the office. I started to tear it all apart and open it up. And then inside, there's a sponge. Some of you are looking at me like, that doesn't make sense. Believe me, I had the same face and the same expression, the same question back then. And I'm like, what is this? This wasn't what I was expecting. This wasn't what I was anticipating. I was hoping it would be something that was good. I was hoping that it would be something special. And my dad says, yeah, you have to clean the bathroom in two weeks. Here's your birthday present. Go upstairs and start cleaning. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I can sit back and I can laugh at that. But if I can just be honest, it's moments like that where you have faced extreme disappointment that robs your trust. Am I right? I mean, all of us, if not many of us, have had moments where we were anticipating and we were hoping for something good, especially from people, and we ended up getting the opposite. And, and the negative impact and the negative effect that it has left on us, that it has robbed our trust. I just remember little by little, even after that moment and many other disappointing moments, my trust meter began to drop. And I began to be a little bit more cynical towards people. I began to kind of guard myself from others. I, I started growing a little bit cold-hearted because I felt like I couldn't trust people. And we all have been through those moments. And let's just even be more honest. It's in the moments of disappointment. It's in the moments where we feel let down when we have these great hope and this great anticipation. It's in those moments when, when people let us down, it negatively impacts our relationship with God. Can I just be honest with you? Because listen. When people experience hurt from other people, it, it hinders them from trusting God, keeps them from trusting God. I've seen church hurt happen. I've seen people that have experienced real hurt from leaders, from people, and they said to themselves, well, how could this happen? And what happens is at that moment, it keeps them from trusting God. I've seen people go through divorce. I've seen people that have experienced severe loss. And disappointments and all of that. And, and it's all due to the fact of what they've experienced and the chaos from other people. Let's be honest. People sometimes keep us from God. And we lose a sense of, of, of hope. We lose a sense of joy. And, is that, and if that's you today, and if that's you that are that's watching online, I, I do want you to know I believe that Jesus wants to change the narrative on that. I believe that Jesus wants to change the narrative of that, and he wants to flip all of that. He wants to spin all of that. He wants you and I to live with such a wonder, live with such a joy, but it's not because of other people, but it's in his great faithfulness and in his great character. He wants us to live with such a faith, not because of what we experience from other people, but what we've experienced through him. And he's going to tell us and he's going to show us that we can live with great anticipation. Why? Because he's good. At the end of the day, the one thing that you can define God by, and that is good. There's a lot of things that we can spend literally decades trying to map out and define God. But the one thing that I see very consistent here in the scriptures is that he is good. Now, good doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. You just know it's just going to work out for your good. And I, and I think he's going to change our approach today. 
and we can still live, and we don't have to be guarded. We don't have to be guarded. We can, we can have a little bit more optimism within us. We can have a little bit more joy and hope. Even in the midst of our circumstances, Christ is going to show us that we can still live with great faith. So we're going to open up to, to Mark chapter 10, verse 13 to 16. It's a very familiar passage. I'm going to read it. We're going to break it down, and then we're going to go home. Sounds good? And I promise you I won't preach for 75 minutes like Chet has been doing. Anybody been noticing? Homeboy's been preaching a long time. Oh, I didn't know he was in the room. All right, anyway, let's, let's just continue on. Mark chapter 10, verse 13 to 16. And, and we're picking up in the middle of Jesus' ministry. And I love this New Testament scholar. He says this, whenever you read the Gospels, his name is Kent Hughes. If you ever want to know about him, uh, look him up. He says, whenever you read the, the Gospels, look at the interactions Jesus has with other people. Because it's within those interactions that they communicate a certain truth so that it will equip and impact your faith in a profound way. Like, for instance, when Jesus has interactions with, like, the Pharisees, right, you know, the, the, the religious nuts, the haters is what I call them. It shows us and it tells us that God doesn't do well with self-righteousness, right? That, that's what it communicates. Or when, when Jesus deals with the lowly or with the sick or, or with the outcast, it tells us God's heart towards those who are in those positions. But then now we're going to see Jesus is interacting with his disciples. And what is he teaching and what is he doing? He is teaching them and rewiring within each and every one of them the way to live before God himself. So that's what we're going to read about in this moment. It's a very interesting scene. Let's go ahead and read. It reads like this. Starting at verse 13, it says, And they were bringing children to him, meaning Jesus. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them. Or a better translation would be that he might bless them. And the disciples rebuked them. To kind of give a little bit of context of what's going on in this time. Again, Jesus is in the middle of his public ministry. He's doing his thing. His name is out there and is well known. And it was a Jewish tradition for Jewish families to bring their children to rabbis. Jesus is a rabbi. And they would bring their children to these rabbis for them to be blessed. So these kids can be prayed over. So they can lay hands and they can ask for a special blessing uh, uh, over the kids. And these kids aren't like teenagers. These are like young, young kids. And, and I love this. And I do want to stop here. I do love that, that these parents... Believe that Jesus, without these kids, I mean, sorry, without Jesus, these kids have nothing. I do love that. I do love their commitment to bring their kids to Jesus. And it reminds me as a parent today, and if you are a parent in this room or, or even if you are a grandparent or whatever, the goal of our lives is to bring our kids to Jesus. Can I just tell you that? Like the goal of our life, listen, I told my son, I'm going to tell my son, you're not going to be the next LeBron James. Your mom is five foot and I'm five six. Like, you're already screwed, bro. Like, that, that's, that's just out of the window, bro. Like, it's not going to happen. But the goal is to make disciples. The goal is to bring them to Jesus, which is why here at Christ Church, you heard Chet talk about it and we have it going on today, that we are committed to investing in this next generation. We're committed. We believe the greatest investment is in our young folks. We want them to reap what we sow today. We want them to see all the, the great faith that we have so that they, later on that my kids, when they're teenagers and they're adults, they can see all of what we are investing in today. And I love this picture. And, and so the, these parents are bringing their kids to Jesus, but the disciples, they have another agenda. They tell them, hey, look, Jesus, he ain't got time for y'all. He ain't got time for y'all. You might as well back up. I love how the Gospels always talk about the errors from the disciples. They always talk about where they, where they screwed up. 
Always talked about where they dropped the ball. I love that because it tells us the authenticity of the scriptures. Because let me tell you something right now. If I was writing the Gospels, I wouldn't talk about my failures. But here they are talking about, listen, we got it wrong sometimes. And this was one of the moments. And look what it says in verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. One of Mark's favorite words. He was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Verse 15, he says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child. If you have your Bibles, underline that. Whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying hands on them. Jesus took this moment where the disciples got it wrong and he turned it into a lesson. I love that about Jesus. He'll take your mess ups and he'll be like, all right, let's learn from this. He'll take when you get it wrong and be like, all right, listen, you, 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 you went too far. You, you didn't do this the right way. But within this is a hidden message that he wants to communicate to his disciples but to us as well too. And he's going to teach us that our approach to life is to be childlike. You ever heard of that term before? It's to be childlike. Now, Jesus, didn't, Jesus doesn't mean childish. Sometimes I can fall into that category. Blaming everybody, shaming, pointing the finger, complaining about every small detail, thinking that I got it all together. He doesn't mean by being childish. He means by having a childlike faith. And this approach is such an interesting approach because I believe it's the approach where we will experience the greatest blessings in our life. I love that God's, God's desire for each and every one of us is to come to him with such a humility, to come to him with such a mindset that we're, we're approaching him with great need, with childlike wonder and childlike faith. And I believe hidden within these, these, these packed verses are three fundamental things that I believe Jesus wants us to know and wants us to have as we go home. So I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about uh, as childlike approach to, to life and to God, that number one, that we want to talk about our position before God. Right? I believe that as a childlike, I believe we can talk about the position. Number two, I want to talk about the posture. The posture. But also number three, I want to talk about God's promise. Every time you read the scripture, look for God's promise. Every time, you read, every time you engage with the scriptures, look for what God is promising. And here's the thing. God is a promising God. He's a God that will fulfill. He's a God that says, if you, then you will experience this. So let's talk about the very first one. Number one, the position. So the position, and what does that mean? It's the status. He says, hey, at the end of the day, you are to come and to approach God in life childlike. So the first thing we can recognize right off the bat our status and our position means this. If we take that approach, that means you are a, probably know where I'm going with this, child. You are a child of God. One of the most fundamental, consistent, uh, constant truths that you can see all throughout 66 books in the Bible. From Genesis all the way to Revelation. That wants to communicate to you, those who believe, those who trust, those who follow, those who have this deep desire for God, you have been engrafted into the family. And when God sees you, he knows you by name, and your name is son and daughter. But little do we know, we see right hand in air, Jesus gives the disciples their identity. 
gives them their identity. And one of the things that I believe that, that robs us the most of life is not understanding who we truly are. Not understanding a true sense of who we are, our identity here in this world. Listen, I want you to understand, notice that Jesus starts off or notice that we're starting off with identity and not activity. Because a lot of us, we like to focus on what we do, but I do want you to know what you do gets better when you know who you truly are. And when you know who you are, what you do becomes healthier and better. And here's Jesus trying to get them to understand, listen, I want you to approach God in a childlike manner. Why? Because at the end of the day, you are a child. Christ came not so that we can just learn a set of behaviors and rules. So we can follow them and then God can start to like us and we can avoid hell and we can just spend eternity with them. No, Christ came so he can give you a new identity. Thank you. Somebody's alive today. Jeez. I'm up here sweating. You can't see it. I wore a dark shirt. Ashley, Ashley Smirk told me to wear a dark shirt when I preach. Anyway, Christ came not to change your behavior. He came to change your identity. So you can go from slave to son. So you can go from sinner to saint. So you can go from lost to found. So as you practice this, before the practice, you must understand your position. And what's your position? You are a child of God. Tim Keller says it best like this in one of his articles. It's an article called Becoming a Child of God. He has seven points. Now, for the sake of time, I'm only going to give you three. I'm not going to bore you with seven points, even though all seven points are pretty good. But he talks about that as a believer and as a child of God, little do you know you have access to certain things. Because this father, this good father, despite what you've experienced from your father, this good father is a father that has so much for his children that he wants to lavishly bless and spoil on to us. Well, I want to bless my kids. I'm going to be able to bless them with much, but I do want to bless them for what I have. And here's the thing. I, I'm, 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 I'm small. I'm, I'm, I don't have much to offer. But our father is abundant. He has abundance. And as children, he wants to lavishly give us certain things. And Tim McKellar says this. He says, number one, he says, become a child of God, you have access towards true intimacy. True intimacy. Listen, little do you know, every single day when you wake up and you scroll on your phone and you go to work and you interact with people, little do you know, you are trying to fulfill the greatest desire which is within your heart. You are trying to fulfill desires. All of us have desires and needs that we have within us. All of us have a desire to be loved and to love. All of us have a desire to be seen, to be known, to belong, to have meaning, so we can feel alive and we can feel on fire and we can have purpose. And we all strive for that within our lives. But as children of God, I want you to know that that finds its fulfillment in him. It's in him. See, a lot of us, we try to find all of that within the world and within the out, outwardly things. And, and we start to learn and we start to realize that those things that we try to place them in and put them in, they fail. Lo and behold, the story that I told you earlier about my father, I trusted in him. I trusted in him to do something good. But I realized, and I'm not trying to sit here and say he's a terrible man. Please don't hear me say that at all. We, we have a good relationship right now. But I do want you to know that people fail us, that this world fails us. But as a child of God, you have true intimacy, which means that God can never fail you. That you have found your true, listen, listen, 
Intimacy with God is a pathway to true satisfaction. That means God's nearness. What does intimacy mean? It means God is near. As the psalmist says, that the nearness of God is for my good. Or James will say, in James chapter 4, he will say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It is the nearness of God, knowing that God is with you. In God's presence, he provides. God's presence, you experience forgiveness. You experience his patience. You experience his grace. You experience his mercy. He's not a God that turns you off and turns you away. He says, come. That's why Jesus says, let the children come. Notice that Jesus says, let them come. Because anyone who comes to me like a child, verse 16, he says, and he received them. And he blessed them. That's what it means. So you, you, listen, you stand before God as a child. You have true intimacy with him. I'm going to skip through the next two. He says, number two, you have true assurance. I kind of like this one. True assurance, or another way you can really say this, is security. That means this, that eternally you are forever with God. Eternally there's nothing you could ever do or anyone could ever do to rob and push you out of that position. That as you trust Jesus with your life and with your soul, as you love him with all that you have, you stand before him assured forever. So what does that essentially mean? Well it, means two thi- well, it means two things, and I already talked about the first one. There is nothing you can do or anyone can do to take you from that position. But also it tells you that your future is secure. Because if there's one thing that we worry about the most, and that's our future. Listen, y'all, I was just in the ICU with my kid. He had RSV. and It was the scariest thing ever. And the one thing that I'm worried about, the one thing that I'm scared of is his future. What's life going to look like? Is this going to impact his health? Is this going to impact how he, how he develops? What's life going to look like? All of those things. And, and I remember just thinking of all these scenarios. You ever think of one scenario, then another scenario? You go from one extreme to a thousand different extremes. You ever had that moment before? And I remember being in this moment. But I, I remember just what God said. God said this one truth to me. He says this. He says, and again, I'm not trying to say that God speaks to me and I hear his audible voice. But I did feel like the Lord was just wanting me to know, listen, before he was yours, he was mine. Before he was yours, he was mine. Before he had a being in this world, he had a being in my heart. Before he was in your hands, he's been in my hands. And here's the thing, he will always be in my hands. From the moment that he was formed to the moment that he's with me, he's in, he's in my hands. And the same thing goes for me. Why? Because we fall under this category of being a child of God. That means your future is secure and you can have confidence, not because you're competent, but because God is. But because God is. So your future is secure. Then he talks about this next one, true authority. That means the power of God lives within you. So let's talk about this next point. He talks about the position that we come to God with a childlike faith. Now let's talk about the posture. Now the posture is the thing that's going on in your heart. And whatever's going on in your heart begins to spill out, right? That's why Jesus says from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and you do all these types of things for what's going on in your heart. And when you have the right posture, you're then going to have the right practice. That makes sense? When you have the right posture, you have the right pa- practice. But what's this posture? Well, Jesus just kind of just, just, just told us just what it looks like to go before God as a child, knowing that we are children of God. But now he says we are to practice childlike faith. Towards him. But it starts with our posture. And what's the posture? Well, there's, there's just three things that I just want to talk about. Number one, it, it helps us to truly understand and define the relationship between a child 
and a parent. Child and a parent. God literally wants to communicate that. Listen, as a parent relates to a kid, that's how I relate to you. I know that's hard for a lot of us because a lot of us have had opposite experiences of what we hoped for or what we wished and what we desired. But God wants to rewire all of that. So the first thing is, number one, he talks about that. Or one, one, one thing we can talk about is that a child is totally dependent on its parent. Y'all, I got a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a, a two-month-old. I do want you to know this. They can't feed themselves. Like, they literally cannot get up and feed themselves. My, my two-and-a-half-year-old probably could, but it'll probably make a mess. And sometimes so do I. <laughs> literally and figuratively. So, sometimes when I try to do things on my own, I make a mess. When I try to be like the disciples, no, no, Jesus. No, 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 y'all can't come to Jesus. I try to take control. But a child lives dependent on its parent. That means it comes before the parent and says, I'm expect." listen, my, my kids have to never worry about being fed. Think about that. They have, to, they have to never worry. And I'm always looking at my kids and I'm like, man, you have no worry in life. There's nothing you fear right now. You know that I'm going to take care of you. You know that when you wake up and you go poo-poo, I'm going to change you. You know this. You know that I'm going to do this. And God says, listen, if you could just go here with me, I do the same thing for you in your life. But it starts by coming to God depending on him. Because with children without a parent, are, they're helpless. They're helpless. And I wonder, do we have that same approach to God today? When we go to God and say, God, I'm not here to show off what I have because I don't have anything. But I need you. I need you to guide me. I need you to give me wisdom. I need you to give me understanding. I need you to show me what it looks like to become the person you have called me to be. Because without you, my marriage won't, 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 won't last. Without you, these kids that you trusted me with, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fail. The, 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 the opportunity and the influence that you have given me, I'm just going to drop the ball. As a, as a kid comes to a parent totally dependent, totally helpless, so we do the same thing with God. God can't do anything with our strengths, but he can do a lot with our weaknesses. He won't, he, it's not going to God being like, all right, I got it all put together. No, God, I don't. I don't. I don't have any of this together. So I come to you totally dependent. Number two, acceptance. There's one thing my kid will always know, and no matter what he does, and he does a lot of stupid things. Yes, he does. Yesterday we were at the park, and... Uh, he sees, every time he sees kids his size, he's like, ooh, I can punch him in the face. I don't know why he does that. I don't know why. He's like, oh, I can tackle this kid. He's not doing this maliciously, but he's doing this because he wants to have fun. And so this kid was minding his own business, and here my son comes and, you know, sticks him. And I'm like, oh, gosh. The kid falls over. Funniest thing ever. The kid got up and said, ooh, he really got me. <laughs> right? But, but I remember the kid, like, wanted nothing to do with my son. As a parent, you ever, seen your, you ever seen your kid being rejected? Most heartbreaking thing ever. It makes you want to cry. But I love my son that he knew that even though 
was rejected, he could turn to his father. Turn to his father. Even though the world may not understand him. Even though the world may not uh, see what he sees in me. But he always can come to me. God says, I'm in the same way. I'm better. And I do the same thing. That no matter our screw-ups, no matter how much we rejected, no matter how much that we're pushed away, God says, I will forever accept you. I'll forever accept you. I'll forever let you in. But also point number three, humility. That we come before God saying, God, I just want to learn. I just want to learn from you. So what are, what are we to take away with this? The last point is the most important point. It talks about the promise. Jesus says this, anyone who comes to me like a child Anyone who doesn't come to me like a child shall not enter the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom is the rule and the reign of God coming down to this earth. His sovereignty, his glory, his power, all of that. As God reigns in heaven, God reigns here on earth. And how do we know about this? How do we see this? Through Jesus. Because he's the king of this kingdom. And the promise is him. The promise is him. That's the promise. Friends, I do want you to understand this. Jesus gives us a reason why God is trustworthy. If you, want to know, if you want a real reason why you can trust God, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Not your circumstances, but to Jesus. This is why it says in Hebrews 12, it's, it, it says that, that, that we are to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the same. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why is Jesus seated? Because he's tired? No, because he's victorious. Because he won. He won the battle. He won you into the family. That's what he did. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Listen, if you want a reason why you can still live with such a joy and such a hope and such a wonder, look to Jesus. This is why the scriptures are consistent about this. And this is where our hope comes from as children. We come to him because of what he's done through Jesus. You do know Jesus came to this world, yes, to set us free. Yes, to pay for the penalty of sin. Yes, to do all of that. But more importantly... He came to show us what it looks like to live like a child under the reign and the rule of their father. The reign and the rule of their father. If you want to know why God is trustworthy, look to Jesus. As a body laid upon the cross, as the Roman soldiers came and took the spear and they pierced his side because he was pierced for our transgressions. And as blood and water spilled out, it confirmed that he was dead. Joseph of Arimathea came and he took the body of Jesus, the dead body of Jesus, and wrapped him in linen cloths and put him into a borrowed tomb. And the women, they would come and bring spices and and ointments to, to embalm the body because their hope was dead. Or at least they thought it was. Because how many of us know Sunday morning happened? How many of us know that the women went in and they looked for the body that they had been preparing, and it wasn't there. And the angel says, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Why is God trustworthy? Because the tomb where Jesus laid is still empty. 
it's still empty. That, that there's not a body in there. That's why God can be trusted. You look to Jesus with this childlike wonder as Christ went to the cross, trusting God even to the point of death. Jesus says, Come and do likewise and experience kingdom, experience glory. Let's say a prayer. Father, we come before you today, trusting you. God, we come to you with open hands. We come to you with an open heart, with a humble heart, saying to ourselves, we are depending on you fully and completely to do for us what we cannot and the world cannot do for us in this world. We come to you with a childlike wonder, saying to ourselves, at the end of the day, you will be good. We come to you and we trust in you because of Jesus, our example, who shows us and tells us you can be trusted. You can be trusted, God, even with a bad report from the doctor. You can be trusted, God, even when we've been hurt from our church. You can be trusted, God, even when people hold back from us. You can be trusted, God, even when we face losses. You can be trusted, God, even in the midst of death. You can be trusted. We come to you. We have faith in you. We depend on you. God, we don't get it right all the time. Sometimes we're like the disciples. <laughs> we're like the disciples and we get it wrong. But there you are, ready to show us what's right. Receiving us into your arms, ready to bless us. We need you. We depend on you. It's in your son's perfect name that we pray. Amen.